turn to Mark chapter 3. I was going to break the series uh, this morning, and I'm going to do it tonight and preach on Thanksgiving, finish the message. Y'all testified so long that I preached so short, I felt like I needed to do Psalms 34 again. Amen? Or start it. Tremendous testimonies. I appreciate every one of them. Some of the shyest people in this church testified. Even little children. I really appreciated Paola's uh, testimony. She would not have been saved if it hadn't been for John and Miss Linda picking her up on the bus. That tore everybody up. Amen. That just tore everybody up. And then some gave testimony just about that song, about the storms of life, how God has come through even in the storms. Amen. You know, I, I was thinking this morning, uh, and uh, I want you all to pray for me. I've got a new Bible, thanks to Brother Jeremy Smith, and i got a new iPad, so this thing might just go really uh, ad-lib. Amen, I don't know, but uh, i got new notes and a new Bible, amen. But it's still the King James Bible, amen. And it's still the Schofield Bible with no notes, and so I take off the S and it becomes the Cofield Bible, amen. Put my own notes in there, amen. Not really, but amen. I thought about this morning what a morbid Sunday school lesson that was. Uh, Brother Jack, you was wearing black, I was wearing black, Jason wearing black. And I thought, my word, are we sitting around here mourning or something with this Sunday school lesson? But it was a great Sunday school lesson because uh, we're the only people that can cry and smile at the same time. But I like that point about the unnatural grief. You know, it's all right to grieve, and it's all right to cry. I had a preacher get up and preach a, a message when my daddy died and said it was a sin to cry. You None of y'all ought to be crying. And I thought, my word, where did he get that from? Jesus wept. Say amen. I look at tears like a pop-off valve on a hot water heater. Hallelujah. Just let her rip. Amen. And some of y'all express your griefs different ways, but it's all right to grieve as long as you don't over-grieve because we have hope, amen, and we, we and you know, so, so the casket is the hope chest, that's what it means, amen, and that's why we plant people like a seed that comes forth with a glorified body. It reminds me of a young minister who was asked by a funeral director to conduct a graveside service for a homeless man who had no family, no friends, and the funeral was to be held in a cemetery way back out in the country. Uh, and the man would uh, uh, be laid to rest there, and so the young preacher was nervous about it. He was hired by the uh, funeral director. And he started out early in the morning, so because he wasn't familiar with those backwoods areas, like over there in L.J. when I, one time I got lost trying to find a cemetery, and uh, physically, not spiritually. And it became serious, seriously lost, but he did not stop for directions like most men don't. And finally arrived an hour late and saw a backhoe and a crew, and they were eating lunch, but he, the hearse was nowhere in sight. And so he said, I apologize to the workers for the tardiness and stepped on the side of the open hole and where I saw the vault lid already in place, and I assured the workers I would not hold them up for long, but this was the proper thing to do. And the workers gathered around, still eating lunch, poured out my heart and soul and preached. And as I preached, the workers began to say, Amen, praise the Lord, glory. And with this encouragement uh, response, I preached and I preached like I never preached before, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And I closed the service with a prayer and walked to my car. But he said, as I was opening the door and taking off my coat, I overheard one of the workers saying to another, I ain't never seen nothing like that before. And I've been putting in septic tanks for 20 years. <laughs> the only people can laugh and weep at the same time. 
Some of y'all need to smile, praise God, because I'm going to preach on gluttony this morning, amen? No, not really. Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 3, you know, death is not a morbid subject to a Christian, it's just going home, amen? It's uh, a graduation, it's a far better place, can somebody say amen? And uh, I thank God for, for heaven, I thank God for Calvary, and you know, when you think you can't get through the storm like that beautiful song says, didn't Jesus come to this earth for you? And did not he give up heaven for you? Don't you think he can give you peace and joy, even purpose, and uh, power to continue during storms? So the storms of life teach us how great and gracious God is. And that was kind of the theme of the, of the testimonies Tuesday night. It was precious. It was just a precious Thanksgiving service. Thank you for sharing your heart. Some of you have never testified before, and your testimony meant so much to me and encouraged me. Mark chapter 3, let's stand on the Word of God. I want to read verse 21, then we'll skip to where we're at, verse 31 through 35. And when his friends heard of it, and other passages say it was friends and family, uh, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, he is beside himself. They literally called Jesus crazy. And they call you a fool if you serve God and surrender to him totally. But look at verse 31. After he was interrupted by the scribes, and I preached on what blaspheming the Holy Ghost is. But look at verse 31. And there came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude said about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked around about them which sat with him, and he said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. Let's pray. You may be seated. Father, thank you for that beautiful song service. I don't believe the choirs ever sound better, and what a powerful special in song. God, it's just good to worship you, it's good to smile, good to have a good time in the house of God, but Lord, it's a very serious time also when we preach the Word of God, and when we worship you, Lord, it's in spirit and in truth. We're not here to entertain, Uh, God, we're not here to do anything but intercede for those that need to be saved, and God, that we need to be sacrificial servants for you. Lord, thank you for the theme of Mark, Christ the Servant. God, may we be servants, joyfully, gladly, willingly, serve you no matter what. Thank you, dear God, for the two missionaries that's given their lives in the last couple weeks uh, to reach the lost. God, I pray that you'd be with their families and comfort them during this real storm that they're going through. And Lord, we'll thank you and praise you for teaching us something this morning and exhorting us this morning to be more like you, a true servant. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the past week's been a wonderful time, uh, spending time with family. Um, All my family are Georgia Tech fans, and I invited them to stay yesterday for the game, but none of them would stay. I couldn't understand that. And um, they're from Atlanta, and so that's that's their priority. But I want to tell you something, friend. It's good to be with them. It was good to have turkey and dressing and all the trimmings, and uh, my my nephew tried something new. He tried cream corn, 
and I ain't never tasted worse cream corn in my life. Uh, but he was proud to contribute it. He was proud to try to uh, try to bring it. And so we had a great time. And my wife cooked and cooked and cooked and cooked. And it was and it, and the food was good. But I want to tell you what was great: the family, just being with family. You know, we miss some of our family. We look back at pictures just a couple of years ago, and there's Pappy in the midst of all of them, and he's uh, rooting everybody on when they're playing, uh, throwing the uh, cornhole out in the backyard, and he's so excited about eating. He always loved to eat and made everybody eat. He was, he was just unreal about making people eat. That's why I gained all the weight I've gained because it was Pappy's problem feeding me. But... Uh, I believe as a church, we're, we're, we're no stronger than our level of family. You know, we never high, high, rise higher than the level of our families. And on this particular day, our Lord's family was so concerned about him. In verse 21, they showed up and traveled 30 miles and accused Jesus of being beside himself because he didn't have time, verse 20, to even eat. And he was so consumed with the ministry. You ever been so consumed with the ministry, you forgot time or you forgot to eat? Now, most Baptists would never forget to eat, amen, I mean, we'd eat no matter what, but uh, he didn't eat, and he was, he was possessed with the ministry, because he was pressing towards the cross, and he said, he is beside himself, and then we see right before, the, uh, 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 right after that, the scribes come, and they accuse him of being demon-possessed, and saying that he, the devil is the one that's doing the, the miracles, and of course, we explained what blaspheming the Holy Ghost was last week. Ain't got time to get back into that. But now the family uh, is outside uh, the place where he's at, and he won't let them in. He won't invite them in. He won't even recognize that Mary, his mother, is there, and that his brothers, I mean his true stepbrothers, are there. And folks, I believe this is a great blow to the Catholic Church. Because I want to tell you something, if Mary was the mother of God, and she's exalted as equal to Jesus as the Catholic Church uh, so, so uh, erroneously uh, put, puts her in that position. Why didn't she get in? She didn't get in because Jesus wanted to make a point. And that point was this. Whoever's in the will of God's my family. And I'm not going to stop the ministry and go outside and, and, and let my mother tell me that I'm out of the will of God or that I'm overdoing it. See, that would have stepped right into the enemy's hands because they would have said, yep, that's right. He agrees with his mother. He agrees with his brothers that he's, that he's beside himself. And so, folks, I want you to see that the reason that people call Jesus a fanatic, which the ardent word is fan, which means ardent followers, I guarantee you nobody left in those seven overtimes Last night, I just found that out by a person that don't even watch football back there in the back. And, uh, uh, you know, I guarantee nobody left. But I guarantee you, if I preach five hours over, somebody would leave here. Say amen. Amen. I'm, I'm sure you would. Amen. I'd be preaching to a, an empty uh, uh, congregation. I'm, I'm surprised Miss Jackie didn't say amen then. Amen. <laughs> you, you'd have stayed here, wouldn't you? Amen. Praise God. Amen. But I want to tell you something, friend. We get uh, uh, fanatical about a lot of things. And I am an ardent follower of Jesus. And so you can call me a fanatic. You can call me a fool. I don't care what you call me, but I want to tell you something. Just call me to supper, amen. But I want to tell you this. Folks, no matter what the fact is, only religion tolerates a tipid 
lukewarm religion. A religion that's lukewarm. You get, you get committed and people think something's wrong with you. When I came to this town, my parents were really saying, are you sure? They didn't stop me, but they were saying, are you sure? How many people you know in Dalton? I said, I don't know anyone, not one person. But God has called me to Dalton, and so I'm going. They said, okay, we'll pray. And uh, they were really looking at me kind of cross-eyed like, are you sure? And Folks, when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the world will not understand. Amen. Not even your own family will understand. What gets me is people are fanatic over a game, and then on a higher level, even a war or a battle, but I want to tell you something, we ought to be fanatics about the souls of men and ladies. Say amen. And so I want, to, I want you to see some things this morning, this charge of madness. Festus called Paul a madman. He says, you're beside yourself and much learning has made you mad, Acts 26, 24. Uh, they called Wesley and Whitfield, named after, this county was named after him. Isn't that great? Dalton was named after somebody great or this county. Whitfield, and they called him cracked-brained fanatics. Where the word they got that, I don't know. Uh, but when men and ladies are, are living for this vanity fair, and folks, when they're climbing some prestigious ladder to get ahead, and they think that all that counts is money, and all that counts is fame, and all that counts is pleasure and fortune, I'm going to tell you something, friend. No wonder they would call somebody that would sacrifice and give their life a ransom for many a fool or beside yourself. And folks, I want to tell you something. Today, what totally lacks in the local church today is God-like enthusiasm. We get enthusiastic about a lot of things, but I want to tell you something. We ought to get enthusiastic about one thing, and that's the work of God. And I want to tell you something. Folks, there's a lack of earnestness. And many have compromised with the world, and so don't be surprised if, if the world looks at us and says, well, I don't really believe you believe it because you're not even excited about it. I would already get excited about the Lord. I don't believe, believe you have to be beyond your personality. If you're a quiet person, raise your little finger or stay awake or nod and come back up, say amen, or say yep, or instead of amen, I don't care. You know, raise, you know, just don't leave, amen. Don't show up. That's enthusiastic. But victory will come back to our church when we're counted as fools for Christ. When we give ourselves all out for God. And folks, we don't need to uh, straddle the fence because we're crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, the life we live, we live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for us. There ought to be total identity. Philippians 1.21 says to live is Christ and die is gain. There ought to be a Christ-likeness. Romans chapter 12 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, folks, a living sacrifice, last time I checked, is a living dead thing. And, folks, when have we died to ourselves? And when have we died to our feelings? And when have we died to our schedule to take the gospel to a lost and dying world? But we'll sacrifice for everything in the world but we want to sacrifice for God, something's wrong. Folks, has anybody ever called you crazy because of your faithfulness? Besides yourself. Religion will tolerate lukewarmness. 
But we ought to have a relationship that totally revolutionizes our priorities. That's why even his family said, Thou art beside himself. He has lost his marble. Folks, I want to tell you something. When they came outside to see him after that comment, he said, don't let them in. And he wasn't being mean, he wasn't being rude, because he always preached that you ought to take care of your mama. He even assigned John to, uh, to take care of his mama at the cross. He was a good son, the best son. But folks, I want to tell you something. This shows how solitary and lonely serving God can be. You see, you're never lonely with God. He's always with you. But I want to tell you something, friend. The reason Jesus even gave up his own family and his own home and his own comfort. And folks, a lot of people won't give up much for God. If it's not in their schedule, they won't give to God. If it's not convenient if it doesn't make them feel good, or if it's, it's just, uh, you know, uh, not an easy task. Folks, it's not easy to give your life for Christ. It's not easy to take the gospel. It's not easy to go out on a cold Saturday morning and knock on doors to see those bus kids get on that bus. And I want to tell you something, friend. Um, God wants us to take our lives and yield them to God because he first gave to us. Luke 23, the Bible says the reason he became lonely. He said, today will you be with me in paradise. He gave up the splendor of glory so that one thief and every thief in this world, the second Adams, can get saved. The Bible says, come unto me all ye heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And that's talking about yoking up with him. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me because my yoke is easy. My burden is light, my yoke is easy. And folks, serving God the easy way is letting Him do the work and yielding to Him. Hebrews 13, 5 says He'll never leave you or forsake you. Never leave you or forsake you. Why did He become lonely? So you'd never be lonely. He simply did not live a normal life. The only time His mother is mentioned in the book of Mark, besides this incident, is in chapter 6, verse 3. Look at it. Mark chapter 6, verse 3. It, is, it says, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon, and are they not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Folks, listen, um, they traveled 30 miles from Nazareth to plead with him to come home and get some rest. Come home and break your schedule. And her failure to persuade Jesus is bad news for the Catholic Church because they lift her up is not maybe not equally maybe even more uh, than superior to even Jesus. She's the mother of God. She's not the mother of God. She was the mother of Jesus, and she got saved just like any other old sinner. Say Amen. And folks, religion will crown people that shouldn't be crowned. We ought to crown Jesus as Lord. D.L. Moody was called Crazy Moody. Cleve McClary, who preached here. About 1981, he came back from Vietnam with one arm, one eye, one leg. And he was preaching along, and I'll never forget the question he asked all of us. He said, some people called me a fool because I went to Vietnam and gave my limbs for him. And now they really call me a fool because I go all around the country 
and she was uh, he was married to Miss Alabama, beautiful lady, and she'd cart him around, and he had that full uniform on. I don't know if some of y'all were here or not. But he said he he asked a question at the end of his message. I'll never forget. He says, "People call me a fool, but I want to ask you, whose fool are you?" Now, Marine with one leg and one arm and one eye can ask anything he wants to. Say amen. And he asked that question, said, whose fool are you? See, we can be a fool for the world or a fool for God. And folks, I don't think it's foolish at all to invest our lives in eternity. Invest our lives in things that count. But Jesus used the visit from his family to, to, to preach some uh, great or teach some great spiritual lessons. And I want to give it to you in verse 31 through 35. Look at verse 31. There came then his brethren. Mark 3, you with me? He came then his brethren and his mother and standing with him sent unto him calling him. And the multitude said about him and they said unto him, Behold thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. Our Lord was not being rude to his mother. He was not being rude to his brothers. He knew their motive was right but their purpose was definitely wrong. And Jesus yielded to his family. He would have played right into the religious hands and he said, listen, he agrees with his family. He needs help. He's crazy. Instead, he used this crisis to, to teach four simple lessons. Number one, his family is made up of all those who do the will of God. Look at verse 33. And he answered them saying, Who is my mother? And who is my brethren? And he looked around about on them that said about him, and he said, Behold my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. Folks, there's a great family that I love to be around. That's the family of God. I like that song uh, by the Gaithers. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And we call each other brother and sister around here. Uh, that's the second verse. The reason we call each other brother and sister, we can't remember each other's name. But we call them brother and sister. No, we are brothers and sisters. Why? Because we have the same father. Say amen right there. And I want to tell you something, friend. When one hurts, we're all hurt. When one's honored, we're all honored. Ought not be an ounce of jealousy in your bones towards those that are uh, your bones because somebody else is honored or somebody else is, has some accolades. How do you get in the family of God? I'm glad you asked. Look at John chapter 1, and I want to give you about three verses. John chapter 1, verse 12. Y'all know the verse, but I want you to see it. John chapter 1, verse 12. Pray for me, my pages are stuck together, but we're getting there. Amen. One twelve. And as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Folks, I'm glad I'm born spiritually. I'm glad that I was born again when I was 11 and a half year old son of a drunk that didn't have anything to offer anybody. Jesus came to me and he birthed me into his family. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, let's look at that. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. How do you get in the family of God? I want to make this perfectly clear. You don't join a church to get in the family of God. You don't get religious to join a family. You don't work to get, your, get in the family of God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and look at verse 17 and 18. The Bible says, Wherefore come out from among them, I'll not be like the world. 
Be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty. I will tell you something, I'm in the family of God. and I'm probably closer to you as my family than I am my physical family. I know I am. And I tell you what, friend, I don't apologize for it. It's a spiritual birth that brings us into the family of God. It's a separation of service and sacrifice that causes us. If you really want to get close to God, serve uh, with somebody. Go soul winning with somebody. Go minister to somebody that's hurting with somebody. And I'm not talking about just your wife. I'm talking about other people you don't even know. If you'll serve God together, you'll get close. It's like playing on a, a blooming ball team. Everybody, anybody plays sports? I played sports all my life. Kept me off the streets. And I'll tell you something, friend. We were close. Nobody said anything about the shortstop when I was playing third base. Nobody, nobody said anything about the forward when I was point guard. Amen. And that was just for a couple of days because they cut me. But I'll tell you, I couldn't do a left-handed layup. But I'll tell you something, friend. Nobody talked about our coach. And nobody uh, talked about it because we were a team. You know, we were the uh, Glenwood Hills Braves or whatever we were. Little league uh, teams are closer than some churches. Folks, I want to tell you something. We ought to be close to each other. Boy, I tell you, I never got so close to each other as Tuesday night when you were pouring your heart out of what you've been through and how God had been so good to your family. That's closeness. That's spiritual closeness. Look at Galatians chapter 4 real quick. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. The Bible says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son. Aren't you glad he did? Made of a woman, made under law, to redeem them that were under the law, that he might receive the adoption of sons. The adoptions of sons. We had two uh, people at our family get together Thursday that are not officially members of our family. Stephanie took them in off the street in Trent. One was a little boy that his parents are on drugs. And then his grandmother and grandfather on drugs, so they couldn't give it to them. And so Stephanie took him, took him. And he loves our family, and we love him, Carson. He's a he's a he's a rascal. He loaded up his he went first and loaded up his whole plate with turkey, and it was covered in turkey. Turkey. He went to Stephanie and said, "Stephanie, all I'm hungry for is meat." I said, "Well, I'm glad of that. Praise God. Amen." And he was so excited about having that plate full of turkey. And then another little girl, that uh, two lesbians was going to try to raise her, and she's 13 years old. Her name's Maria, beautiful girl from Guatemala. And uh, Stephanie took her in. And um, she, uh, she was so excited about being with our family. And she was a very picky eater, because, you know, in Guatemala, they don't have turkey, I guess. And she was so excited about being with her family. The assistant pastor is going to take that little girl, and he's got a sick wife that's dying, and, a, and got a little sick baby girl, and going to take that girl into his home and adopt her. Now, folks, that's exactly what Jesus did for you. You didn't deserve it. You wasn't looking for him, but the Father left heaven and left the splendor and glory of heaven and took you in to his self, and you became his family. Who is 
the family of Jesus, they are asking everyone that does the will of God. And the will of God is for you to be saved, to be adopted into the family of God, to come out from among them and be servants of God and folks to be received and being born as, as the sons of God. You're a child of the king, heirs of the king, as uh, uh, Joanne and Randy sing, sung a long time ago. We're heirs of the king. We're joint heirs with Jesus. Folks, how do I get you excited about serving God? Serving God is a family privilege, and it's a spiritual sacrifice. It means God's work is above your home ties and your family affection. He said, don't let them in. My family is whoever does the will of God. Now, folks, that's strange to a Jew because they treasured family more than anything. They die together. They sacrifice together. A matter of fact, when a believer became a believer, they, they were so shocked and so remorse about it, they would disown their family member. And they no longer was family because the Jewish custom was that families stay Jewish. But I want you to look at Luke chapter 14, what Jesus said about your love for your mama your love for your daddy and your love for your family. Luke chapter 14, this must have been radical. This must have shook that whole place up when he said this about the cost of discipleship. Look at it, Luke chapter 14. And I want you to look at verse 26 and 27. Y'all pray for me while I'm preaching. I'm about to go to sleep on my own preaching. That's bad, isn't it? Some of y'all are having a hard time. I'm seeing you out to too much turkey. But I want to tell you something, friend. Y'all pray for me, amen. Sometimes you feel energetic and sometimes you don't. Say amen. But it's still the word of God. Say amen. Well, I got three amens. That's good. Look at verse uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 26. It says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, Yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Those Jews must have dropped their jaw when he said that. And look at verse 26, 27. Whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What in the world did Jesus mean by that? I believe that he meant this. You ought to love your parents and you ought to love your children like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Say amen. Like the father loves the children. But he's saying that your love for Christ is so fervent and so faithful and so sacrificial and so consistent that it seems like hate towards your father and your mother. I mean, you love them more than, you could, than any lost person could ever love your mother or father but that you love God so much more and Jesus so much more and serving God so much more that your love for them would seem like hate. And folks, that's where we come to it says and bear the cross. You know what bearing the cross is? That's bearing the shame. It's being rejected for his namesake. And then it says, come after me. That'll cost you. And it says, he cannot, if, you can, if you do not, you cannot be my disciple. I want to close with saying this, the lessons that he taught 
to them being outside saying come and rest and stop being so possessed by service was this. You're born of the Spirit and you're served by the Spirit and you ought to have a spiritual priority in your life that everything and everyone comes that comes before God is a sin. I believe our Lord was suggest, not suggesting that believers ignore their family but they put it in proper order. And I'm going to tell you what happens when you do serve God as a family. You become closer than ever before. Some of the times that Connie and I have been the closest, some of the times that my children and I have been the closest, is when we have served God together. When we worship God together. Our, lo our love for God should be so great that our love for our family would seem like hate in comparison. And certainly it's God's will that we care for our family. 1 Timothy 5, 8 says you're an infidel if you don't. But I want to tell you something, friend. We must not let our dearest loved ones influence us away from the will of God. The will of God. Luke chapter 2, verse 35 said that Mary would have a sword in her, in her soul. And folks, I believe it was a sword in Jesus' soul when he had to say, hey, Tell mother to stay outside. Tell the brothers to stay outside. All these that do the will of God are my family. I want to ask you a question. Are you willing to sacrifice for Jesus? Are you in the family of God? And are you grateful enough to serve him sacrificially? I heard this past week that another missionary died. They went to an island no one's ever went to tribe that he went to to try to reach. I think about uh, uh, Jim Elliott. I want to call him Bill, but Bill's not near as spiritual as Jim. Amen. Jim Elliott that went to reach those Anka Indians and they had him for supper and the pilot and the four other missionaries. And Elizabeth Elliott went back and won those same tribesmen, tribesmen to the Lord that killed and murdered and martyred Folks, I think about that kind of sacrifice and that kind of love and it makes my sacrifice and my faithfulness seem so bland and so shallow. I want to ask you a question. Would you be willing to give your life like Charles Wesco gave his life? He was only there two weeks. They said he memorized most of the New Testament preparing to go to Cameroon. And everybody would say, oh, that was a waste. But a great missionary, and one of our missionaries, Brother Sinclair, got up and said, I believe that God's going to use the death of Charles. Three hours funeral, I watched all of it. I believe that the death of Charles is going to cause many young people to surrender to the killing of Cameroon. Maybe hundreds, maybe thousands. Folks, is it worth it? Yes, it's worth it. And folks, why is it worth it? Because we're in the family of God, and God has saved us. Are you willing to sacrifice for Jesus? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this brief message. And thank you, dear God, that you, you gave a great message. And all we did was read it. And whosoever is in the will of God is your children. And Lord, the greatest blessing to a father is when the children want to serve mama and serve daddy because they love them. So Lord, help us.
to be willing to sacrifice. God, help us in the death of these two missionaries, not let them die in vain. But God, that it might move us to faithfulness and move us to steadfastness. And God, even move us to a word that we don't even want to use. Move us to sacrifice. Sacrifice ourselves. Sacrifice our desires. And let them be melted into your desire for you to be glorified. Lord, I don't believe it's foolish for a bunch of people next Saturday morning to meet and go out and knock on doors for boys and girls and men and ladies to be saved. I don't think it's foolish to sacrifice some time because how many hours do we spend sacrificing for our favorite team, our favorite activity, our favorite pleasure, our favorite selfish endeavor? How many hours do we give? Lord, help us take this passage of scripture and realize that some people say that we're beside ourselves but God help us to die to self so that we can have that confidence that we are a fool for Christ Lord it's better than being a fool for the devil and a fool for self than a fool for the world God help us to be your servants because we're first your servants